So we're here as prophesized in the legends. Just a preface. We, we just saw the Northmen together. We also uh, were accompanied by my brother Blake and my somewhat brother-in-law, soon to be one of these days, Isaiah, which he's actually sitting behind us right now, just big chilling. Yeah. Poor guy doesn't have a microphone. What a wild movie. I think it exceeded my expectations quite a bit, actually. I had went into it thinking, okay, Robert Edgar's action, it's going to be dark and it's going to be brutal, which it accomplished those things. But I guess to me, I enjoyed the art part of it a little bit more and the blending of myth and reality at the same time. Well, that was like perceived through multiple character perspectives. Like you had your antagonist and the way they viewed gods or like bad omens and how they were blended with, it's really just Alexander Skarsgård's character just fucking shit up. (laughs) I don't know. I found it very interesting. I want to see it again. I can't wait till it comes to streaming, Mm -hmm. even though I think this movie was certainly made to be seen on the big screen, which is kind of weird. We saw a $70 million dollar or was it 90? I think it's 90. I want to say 90. We saw a $90 million Robert Eggers art house historical action drama film in theaters. Just the fact that we saw like saw it in that context, like I had like a smile on my face for a majority of the runtime. This movie was a uh, it was not an A24 film, which has been his uh primary uh producing company. What is that? Licensing company. This one was done by, looks like it's distributed by Focus Features and Universal. It has a budget $70 million. It hasn't been like a final number disclosed. Oh, wow. Um, I guess technically we saw it opening weekend because it came out on the 22nd and uh, we saw it on the 24th. It's currently the 25th now. Would you consider 8.30 on a Sunday night to be a weird time to see a movie? Because I was a little disappointed in the turnout at our theater. It was about the crowd I expected, actually. We actually ran into some people we knew. Me and Isaiah <laughs> did. The two guys that were there were actually, um, they were part of my graduating class. A uh, younger man in the tank top. Said his name was Logan? Logan. He was the guy that got me into anime, like in uh, sophomore year of high school. Those two guys were uh, some peeps I hang around with a lot in my uh, like eighth grade to sophomore year. Isn't that also the guy that got you into like Half Moon Run? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I remember yeah, yeah, yeah. you telling me a story about that. Yeah, that guy's cool. Yeah, both those dudes are pretty cool. They're like they're kind of like us, just artsy, semi homophobe, uh, not homophobe, homoerotic, <laughs> somewhere in there. You're smearing their good name right now. Yeah, we're on accident. We're, <laughs> you know, we're a couple of hipster white boys with a feminine edge. I think they were both sweating too by the end of it. I felt really weird after leaving the theater. Yeah, that's. And I had mentioned right then and there. I'm like, this is how I felt when I left the lighthouse. Yeah, you know, I felt. Like, I felt wrong. Similar to, like, when I left the theater for Joker. Mm. Just, like, having to get up from that seat and just everybody else in there is just, like, has that same fucking nervous sweat going. It just doesn't feel good as a as a group experience. Yeah. I felt super uncomfortable. There was also, like, outside elements weighing on me, like, going into the movie. I cut the grass today, and I had let my grass grow to like almost a foot long because i'm a lazy piece of shit <laughs> so like i had a really rigorous time cutting the grass and then i ate burger king immediately after <laughs> and then i went and then i was assaulted by this movie yeah like on a visual and a sonic level for two hours yeah and i just felt like out of this fucking world leaving the theater i'm yep. still recovering right now we still we saw it um 
in the uh, Dolby Cinema, which is basically a more comfortable IMAX experience from what I took away. I definitely will be seeing movies in that format more often. It was more, more comfortable. You got reclining seats and shit. We didn't eat popcorn or anything. We we also had burgers. We had uh, five guys prior to going and seeing the movie. So I wanted popcorn so bad, but my body would just, I would kill myself. Like I might, I would be suffering. If I have any more trans fats today, I literally might kill over. <laughs> trans fats are the best fats, bro. Exactly, Come dude. On. So as far as like the plot goes, it's straight Hamlet. You told me that beforehand. You know, I kind of, to me, even though I knew it was Hamlet, I didn't really think a whole lot about how like the mother would play a role of betrayal. I've also kind of forgotten the entire plot of Hamlet, and I've studied Shakespeare in college. I believe it's like straight up. I know it's like family feud type stuff mm-hmm. with Steve Harvey. Never mind. Amleth is a figure. <laughs> that fell flat on his face. <laughs> I don't know what you're going for. I'm too busy reading. I don't know what I was going for either. Amleth is a figure of medieval Scandinavian legend, the direct inspiration of the character of the Prince Hamlet, the hero of William Shakespeare's tra- tragedy, Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. Amleth was the name of our main character, uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Do you want to break this down just by, like, different elements of, like, the movie-making process? This is kind of unusual for us because we've never come straight to the microphones, like, as a first impression kind of thing. If we're going to talk about plot, that's actually, like, the one thing that I was slightly disappointed in just Mm -hmm. because it was so stripped down and basic that I kept waiting for some new element to come Mm -hmm. into it to, like, open up things a little bit more. No, it was very straightforward, like, from beginning to end. In the first 15 minutes, you're, it's like, here's the revenge setup, and the rest of the film follows that very straight and narrow from like point A to point B to point C to finale. The only thing that diverts the path a little bit is Anya Taylor-Joy's character, Olga, which is like a hideous name for such a beautiful woman. Yeah. I thought it had room to work of being a little bit more, how do you say, immature or naive in a way where I thought the relationships played by the characters and the how they were a little bit more animalistic, quite literally. I recently had started Game of Thrones with uh, the lady, and I felt like the pillaging and the raping part of like this medieval culture, which is prevalent in like Game of Thrones, that kind of stuff can be a little bit more... You can be more forgiving with like the belief of it because it is so... I don't know. It's, it's like... It's a time before us... It's like uh, women and children are viewed in a in a way of resource. You know, Olga, like, just, she's, like, kind of written in as, like, that love interest, which is something I really didn't enjoy a whole lot, but... Yeah. At least she had, like, she was helpful yes. to the main character. Correct. I do want to talk about one very specific scene in particular that I think would be fun to open up. Okay. Would be when Ethan Hawke and Alexander Skarsgård, well, not Alexander Skarsgård, but the younger portrayal of him in the first few minutes of the film. When they go into like this almost temple, this is where I thought I had the understanding of coming into a little bit of Viking culture where I'm pretty sure it's like they used to use a lot of psychedelics before like battle. I kind of got that vibe. You know, that kind of ritualistic religion the, nature. The guttural chanting and mm-hmm. the, the dude with his eyes rolled in the back of his head. Mm-hmm. Those are the parts where it felt most like a Robert Eggers movie. Mm-hmm. Well, especially like the Defoe shit. Yeah. Willem Defoe's character is, uh, he's basically a jester to the king, but he also has some sort of shamanic 
what do you call that? Like a shamanic purpose. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I think I've got to see Willem Dafoe like pretty much butt ass naked in both Robert Edgar's films. So like that was always pretty interesting. I think he likes being naked in movies. He's done Probably. this in the Von Trier movies a few times really? too. Really? Apparently. Oh, he's in the Von Trier films. He's in Antichrist and oh, I knew Nymphomaniac mm. and Manderley, I mm. believe. A lot of directors want a, a piece of Defoe. I want a piece of Defoe. Yeah, same. He's a he's he's a G. He's like a national treasure. He's part of the reason that I wanted to see this so bad. Mm-hmm. He kind of has like meme status now, where like anywhere he appears, it feels like. Like a Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) Yeah. He kind of feels like some sort of, you know, an idol, like a mythological creature that exists in our universe. I really enjoyed that scene. It was kind of like this motif of they're like dogs or wolves or bears or in human clothes. And that kind of gives them some sort of way to channel their rage and like kind of have like this animalistic nature to their culture. They're basically, he's basically like tripping out with his dad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I found... Quite enjoyable. It was a good way to display kind of how the rest of the film's going to move forward, a little bit of blending of myth. I mean, Ethan Hawke's character is like come home recently from looks like war. Mentions to his wife that he's tasted, uh, or the enemy has tasted uh, his liver. So he's taken like a wound to the stomach. And he has his son reach into his stomach. And it kind of gets into this psychedelic trip uh, yeah. of like a family tree. This made me wince like a whole lot. Yeah, it was a little gross. Did you notice how like insane the cinematography was mm-hmm. during that scene where it was almost doing like a 360 rotation, but not like left to right, but up and down where you're getting these like portrait style uh, mm-hmm. images of each character. That was like something I've never really seen in a movie before, at least not done in this way. Like it, the sound design played a big role in that too, because it felt so dissonant that like it was such these fast, hard cuts from character to character and they were basically all lined up parallel to the frame i could not help but chuckle like every time defoe was on screen because it's like he just loves being really close and really intense in most (laughs) things so it was kind of a treat i want to see it again because i know that that's coming and i want to dissect it more like i really missed kind of his joke at the beginning when his father returns and he makes his first jester joke talking about making the queen wet (laughs) like i thought that was yeah, he just hops out of nowhere. It's like fucking, I'm Willem Dafoe and I'm here. So badly, I wanted him to be in this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I know his character didn't serve much more of a purpose than that first like 15 to 20 minutes. And I know you get like some some voiceover work from him. You see his decapitated head, <laughs> yeah. which was like kind of hilarious. I wish we got more Dafoe. I knew what direction it was going with, with him being decapitated there with uh, the next shaman. Part of me wanted the the shaman to like speak with Defoe's voice in a voiceover. I thought that that was the direction it was going to take instead of uh Scarzard's character staring right into the decapitated head, talking to it. But there was a lot of like these weird blendings of mythology and reality at the same time. And it happened again when he goes and gets the, I'm not even, I don't even remember what it's called, but it was like a sword that cannot be unsheathed during the day. I think they called it the night sword. Really? Like during one of those little, uh, chapter breaks that they Mm -hmm. did i think the title was like when the night sword causes blood or or something like that that's not verbatim i mean i found those hard cut transition chapter wise like kind of crazy to do in this film it kind of reminded me of the way tarantino sets up his films a lot these like chapter storybook ways yeah von trier does this as well really i'm a big fan of that kind of structure Mm -hmm. 
it was very comedic at the end too because in the act before the finale amleth says to the uncle like i'll meet you at hell's gates <laughs> and then like it hard cuts to hell's gates and i was like okay like we're here i do want to talk about like the the mythology blending a lot because when he gets the sword he has some sort of it's like some sort of fake I don't know what it was trying to symbolize and I and to me I thought it kind of did a couple of things at the same time where he has like this battle with like almost a a Draeger or like a, a Draugr or whatever they're called. This is something I know like absolutely nothing about. You ever played Skyrim? Yeah, a it's little bit. The, it's the fucking zombie knights that you fight in like the crypt areas. It's exactly like that, like these kind of undead knight shit. I'm sure it's you know, Norse mythology bullshit. Like, I'm pretty sure it's a thing. And I'm sure Skyrim took inspiration from that too and put that in there. But he like walks up and tries to take the sword from the hand. And I'm like, okay, like set up the fight. Here we go. And it happens. And like, that was all cool and fun and epic. But this was super jarring to me. I was not expecting it to dip into that until you get to the part where you realize it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, okay. Part of me thinks it kind of breaks the third wall a little bit where you're a little bit removed from the story and it almost could be like a storybook telling and then it shows you reality. It was like this epic, almost like biblical story or story of legend where this happened, but in reality he just removed a sword from a dead body. Mm, and okay. I, I thought that maybe kind of what it might've been going for. And then there was also those moments where when they pillaged that first town where Olga, we get to meet Olga and everything and the rest of the slaves First off, that was an excellent fucking scene. Oh, fantastic. Was it like a whole long shot for the most part? I think it was broken up into a few longer shots. Because when Skarsgård is climbing that wooden wall, the entire climbing sequence is done without a cut. Mm -hmm. And the camera even pans over. And I'm sure this is like the way the set was built, mm -hmm. where like it goes through the wall and you see him climb over on the other side. And that could have been cut there too. Yeah, I know like Birdman did similar tricks mm -hmm. in that movie. But there were large portions of that scene where he's just walking and the camera's like right behind them. Mm -hmm. The chaos is ensuing. I will say we saw it in a very large screen format. Part of me would like to see a standard showing because although like it's really cool to be like enthralled by a scene like that and it'd be like really cerebral and over the top for your brain to handle, I, I never felt like I could focus on like smaller minute things that were happening in the background because it was so close. I've, I felt like maybe the film compositionally would have been a lot easier to digest if I would have saw it on a smaller screen. I felt the exact same way. Mm -hmm. I mean, this I mean, it really does set up like the brutality of the film though. in this, in like in this first real action scene, in my opinion, because it, they kill babies and cut throats of old men and burn the rest of the men in like a one building. And then they, it's insinuated that they rape, you know, some of the slaves this left me feeling really torn, like, as an audience member. Like, especially because our main character is partaking mm -hmm. in all this violence. To me, I feel like it's trying to set up, like, he's completely removed from it, and he's kind of along for the ride. And as a as a character, he's he has one goal, and he's on that path to, you know, avenge his father. I read a lot that a lot of people had a hard time. A lot of people want to feel empathy and sympathy and like be in the shoes of characters and it, like it, it can become more enthralling for a, an audience you know you want to root for your protagonist but to me he was almost like i don't know like anti-hero 
kind of. I feel like the beginning of the film sets it up that way. I think once you're kind of in the middle of it, though, where you know he's kind of doing slave work and almost like in the spy position of trying to kill the chieftain, you did root for him, but like you don't forget that crazy shit that happened earlier. Yeah. And how do you pronounce that one girl's name? Is it Bjork? Yeah. Kind of like an experimental indie pop musician. Mm-hmm. I don't know like if she's like a very... Uh, like if she acts very often, mm-hmm. I know she's done a few movies like in the '90s and stuff. But this is the first time I've seen her name like on a marquee in forever. Mm. She plays a character titled the Seeress. She, I tried to tie it. I, I I tried to ground this sort of vision he has comes to him in the form of her character. Like and it looks like an altar temple-ish area. He gets called into like this temple he kind of as he's walking around the town prior to this he was like drinking out of like a large pot or like urn ceramic jug and part of me thought it was like some sort of psychedelic brew like i don't know i know like the greeks their wine was sometimes laced with psychedelics and like part of me thought like maybe that's kind of what it was going for because he kind of walks up to the altar and she's already there but like after the scene ends she like immediately disappears and like it's left there at the statue. So maybe it was some sort of like blending of the two or I think this was like purely mythological mm-hmm. in, in that realm. I don't know if psychedelics really had anything to do with it. I was surprised that this character wasn't in it more. That's just my expectations of seeing their names in the trailer. The same with like, like Defoe. Yeah. You you think you would play more of an integral role. I only brought that up because I thought the use of drugs and psychedelics was like kind of laid out in the beginning and it was definitely littered out, especially towards the end. You know, they find a psychedelic mushroom in the forest and they use that against the the soldiers and the kings and all that bullshit. I thought maybe that had a little bit more, like maybe its use was more normalized in the culture because I had kind of gone into it thinking like, I bet there is going to be psychedelic use because I know that Vikings use psychedelics. And especially with like all the shamanic shit that's already happened, I thought maybe like it, it it could be interpreted like mythologically, but also like these are some fucked up characters. Maybe they've got some like schizophrenia or some <laughs> shit. Like, are they buy into like some sort of religion in a way? Maybe that helps like lift up the myth in a way. Because again, mm-hmm. tying back to when he takes the sword, it can kind of feel a little bit far fetched. But maybe it's just like again, some sort of third wall break. It wasn't concrete at all. It was just like presented to you and it was kind of like to me I had to figure it out on my own which I don't know if it's a weakness or a strength. I feel like it's stuff like this that would benefit from a second or third watch Mm -hmm. so much more because it is a very like strange movie. It's almost like watching The Lighthouse and then being rushed in front of the microphones and trying Mm -hmm. to explain it. For sure. I just it's something to simmer on. I just I'm like I'm literally just trying to figure it out while we're doing it you know like it was one of the most different things I'd ever seen in a film. I mean, The Lighthouse did that a little bit, and it had, like, some strange symbolism in it as well, like, with, like, the mermaids and the lighthouse itself and Defoe's character, like, turning into a dog and all this weird shit that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, you, and, I mean, even when you lay it out, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But I thought that, like, the use of drug use and ritual ceremony was, like, very interesting to me. And don't forget, like, there's they use ritual ceremony, like, deep into the film with like beheadings of horses and they like sacrifice people and 
like that shit was fucking nuts to me. I knew they were going there. I, as soon as I saw that fucking horse on screen, I'm like, they're gonna cut this horse's yeah, head off. I was worried about that. And they do not shy away from it. It was like, here uh, you go. God, that was brutal. Mm-hmm. All the violence in this movie is pretty brutal. The dude's intestines falling out mm-hmm. at one point. The dude's nose getting pushed in oh with my the sword. God. The practical effects that they used right there were really good. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the framing of the shots. There was some really fucking nice cinematography work in this film. Oh, yeah. I think it was better than the lighthouse oh, in, for in that sure. department. For, for sure. sure. Well, first off, the lighthouse is black and white. And I thought they did a great job in that film. Oh, yeah. In this film, there was such a use of fog in like... Like all this like shrouded area feeling like you were always looking through a doorway was really, really cool to me. It kind of helped create anxiety and also kind of grounded the film quite a bit because a lot of sequences take place outside. But I just really enjoyed like the architecture that they used where like it's just like these wooden log cabins with hay on the top. <laughs> but it felt like they weren't living lavishly at all. No. And it was like, I don't really know what he's fighting for. He's not fighting for some fucking nice ass living he's really just got a roof over his head and a bed I just to, <laughs> anyway i think that nicole kidman had the standout scene of the entire movie really and she doesn't really have much dialogue or much to do before that scene mm-hmm. the movie kind of paints her as like a damsel in distress kind of until you get to that scene mm-hmm. and it flips the entire movie on its head yeah yeah that monologue was great Man, she really contorts her face a lot in that scene. She all like almost takes on a different person, in my opinion. Like she becomes much more witch-like, and her face becomes so much more angular. She already has like very like pronounced cheekbones and everything, but I just felt like she really. I thought she fucking nailed that scene, and I thought our main character of Aimless, played by Skarsgård, I thought he did a fucking great job. I know, like he pretty much is in constant pain and suffering yeah but like in that scene in particular i thought his acting was on par with kidman's playing that that yin to her yang and i thought she's like torturing the fuck out of him mentally watching that navigation in that short amount of time was really intense to me when they pushed the like incestuous mm-hmm. angle on us that's like what made me the most uncomfortable the entire film i think i audibly went Ah, uh, you did. You're sitting right next to me, and I kind of did too. <laughs> yeah, that shit made me uncomfortable. I don't think she was gonna do that, honestly, because I think she set it up like I'm gonna kill him while I'm kissing him type of yeah. thing. Because I think she pr- pretty much goes to kill him right after that. But not gonna lie, I was a little confused after this because all oh, the Valhalla shit. Well, like she goes to kill him during the kiss, and then he leaves. And then the next day, she, like, doesn't out him? No, she for sure does. He kills the the eldest son right after this. Maybe it's just because the accents in this movie were so thick. Maybe I missed something in the dialogue. What really disgusted me about it was that she knew that her son was going to die when she has Ethan, Ethan Hawks, her husband's character, killed. Like, that was the most fucked up part to me. Like, she was going to sacrifice her child for, like, in her mind what true love was. Because it's, like, revealed in that moment that, like, she was taken by force. Like, she's brand- like she has the brand on her chest of a slave, which I thought was... 
it, that does like completely turn the movie over because you think it's approaching this climax of okay we're here he's gonna like get the mom whether or not she dies like they're gonna have to like live through that pain or something I thought like she was gonna embrace him it kind of sets up his character as like a suffering character from start to finish and that kind of really was something that I kind of wanted to unpack a little bit more I know it's just first impressions but the nature of this character was like basically doomed to like doomed to fail from the start. I figured he wouldn't be redeemed, and I know like there's a lot of prophecy. And yes, this movie would benefit tremendously from subtitle. I mean, it would be great to like view it via streaming with subtitles. But also, the lighthouse was the same way, where you have to like get used and get trained to listen. Yeah. And you saw that in theaters. Mm-hmm. I saw it on streaming for the first yeah. time, and I knew going in that I needed subtitles. Hey, Wait. Isaiah, will you grab me a beer? Thanks, dog. We have an intern for one night. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be our producer full-time, Isaiah? Oh, it's funny as fuck. I've been reading Berserk a lot, and that character is a suffering character, like meant to suffer from the beginning of the beginning of the story to the end. And so I've kind of been used to that that character trait of just like defeat <laughs> walking <Yeah>. around uh, <laughs> the whole, like him and Olga. I mean, it was prophesized that he was going to have to choose between his kin, the love for his kin or the hate for his enemy. And he chooses both, which I thought was kind of weak. He tries to, at least mm-hmm. he never gets that other side of the, of the, uh, the deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought the soundtrack played a huge role in like conveying those emotions too, especially like, when he does depart off the boat to go back for, you know, revenge after figures out that Olga's pregnant with twins, which was another one of those like weird mythological prophecy moments where it was kind of shoehorned in, but it wasn't like completely removed because it's been set up at this point. What did you think? I mean, about that character dynamic? I mean, to me, I'm kind of like iffy on it. Him and Olga. Yeah. Or just like in, in general, like the prophecy of it, I mean, I kind of, mm. I kind of could have gone without the love route so much. If she was just a character that he befriended, it might have been better. It didn't really need the relationship aspect of it. Yeah. And like with the prophecy, I'm not a big fan of prophecy style mm. storylines like the chosen one. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not really my thing. I usually kind of find it boring when events are like inevitable. You know what I mean? But the way it plays out the epicness of it, it was worth it. To me, I, I think it would have been more fun. <laughs> it sounds awful, but I think it would have been more fun for her character to die. And I think it would have made the story a bit more tragic. I know he kind of has that, you know, his legacy carries on, his blood carries on kind of thing. He gets to avenge his father and his blood carries on, but it may have been more fun to have that character die. And like maybe the weight of his, the weight of his choice mean a little bit more. Like, maybe he finds out that she's pregnant, and then she dies. Mm. Or, you know, she dies, and he loses that hope of love, and that fuels the revenge more, and then he does become tragic in the end. Yeah, him just choosing revenge over her Mm -hmm. wasn't really where I thought it was going. You know what I was kind of predicting? Mm. I thought that Skarsgård would get his revenge, and that... I can't remember character names all that well, but the guy he kills, I thought the the son would remain alive Mm. and then it would set up like the son having a bloodlust for Skarsgård and like Like it would be cycle repeat. Yeah. The revenge cycle, like a last of us type situation Mm -hmm. or something. Yeah. I definitely could have saw that coming too. 
I mean, that's also been set up a lot in Hollywood as well. Yeah. For some reason, I'm getting... There's a movie called A Bronx Tale. It's it's a Dear Nero film. He plays a father figure, but... His child befriends a gangster and grows up under the gangster as a father figure. And at the beginning of the film, he meets the gangster after the gangster kills a dude in a bar. At the end of the film, the son of that guy he killed comes and kills him. And so mm-hmm. it kind of has like that kind of feel. I thought like that could have been a good route too. Or like, I didn't think that kid was going to die because he saved, he saves the kid during like the games that they play. Yeah. I think it was more reactionary than mm-hmm. anything. I mean, the kid does stab him in the back, like <sighs> gruesomely about 20 times. Turns into like a Chucky doll and like jumps oh, yeah. on his back and just, oh my God, dude. Because he did look torn after mm-hmm. that happened. I think he had like come to the reality of his, and also... It's like finding out your mother wanted you dead. Man, I really love that framing that got set up there too, though, where like the husband was in the other room and he's standing in that doorway. Is this where he drags the bodies mm-hmm. away? This was cool because the camera just stays on him mm-hmm. as he's picking up their bodies to carry him away. I was like really rooting for that guy to win, honestly. We had kind of discussed this off the mics at first too, where like, you know, if the mother's words were true... He probably was a little bit more of a good guy than Proceed, but we're getting it through Skarsgård's character's eyes where it is just set up as revenge. And it kind of has like that silver lining or like the other side of the story where it felt like you kind of had to sit there and simmer in that after they're dead. I'm glad that he wasn't just like this bad guy where he did. Oh, that would have been You know what I mean? That would have been stupid. And it makes sense that Skarsgård wouldn't understand the dynamic mm-hmm. of Nicole Kidman and her new husband because his like whole revenge thing happened when he was a kid mm-hmm. and he wouldn't have understood that at yes. the time. It leaves the audience kind of torn mm-hmm. on the entire situation. Not a whole lot of movies really do that. I had mentioned it right after the end of the film, but I had heard someone say I was taking a shit today and I was watching a YouTube review of the film because I was like kind of bummed out after reading kind of shitty reviews last night on Rotten Tomatoes from the audience score. And the guy said, the only way I can describe it is like Obi-Wan and Anakin in episode three, like Duel of Fates, but like more testosterone and shorter. A lot more yelling. Dude, that shit was insane. I don't think it could get much better than that. I thought it was an epic ending. And I thought... It really was. I want to see it. I like, I want to watch that like 10 times back to back to back. First off, these dudes got like full pump going their abs and their chest. And like, they're basically fighting in loincloths. This is testosterone and masculinity at its (laughs) finest right here. The lighting was fucking amazing. They're basically fighting on a volcano, which I guess we didn't really set up, but like, yeah, like the volcano just starts erupting at some point in the film. It's just something you have to accept. And I accept I love the way the scene moves, too, because it almost seems like he's lost. And I thought the score, I mean, and it does it throughout the rest of the film, like especially in the boat scene where he abandons Olga. It feels like this like beautiful swell of like love. And then it immediately gets turned around to like, now I'm leaving you. And it like just happens like in this two second interval in like in a soundtrack where I thought, you know, this film does a really great job. Like there was a lot of metal scraping throughout the film and like animals were like blending in with like human screams and that helped like build swells with strings, like drumming, this like rhythmic animalistic ritual shit. The sound design 
was the most insane thing I've heard since I saw Dune, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah, it was definitely up there. This definitely deserves like sound editing or whatever that Oscar award is. Yeah. Soundtrack too. Like it needs to be nominated for best original score. For sure. It reminded me a lot of The King with Timothy Chalamet where like everything felt really tragic at all times. Like it was never, I don't know. It was never like, it never was in the key of C. It was like, it was always like, it It was always minor. It was no pop tune. Yeah. It was always minor, (laughs) but the ending man, like it just, to me, it felt very rewarding. It kind of played in with like all the action was pretty short in the majority of the film. These really intense short moments broken up a lot. And I'm glad like it just wasn't like this stupid epic fight where like they'd run around the whole time and like share like share dialogue. It's like these dudes are just <laughs> like, like yelling like a bunch of fucking wild animals. It was super primal. Mm-hmm. And that's what it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Even with that comparison to The King, I remember there's a fight in that movie where the main characters are like just worn out after 30 seconds mm-hmm. like, panting and the realistic approach is something I prefer. It wasn't like this, it wasn't like over the top choreography. That's like one of my biggest things with like Star Wars where everything feels like a dance. It just felt so visceral. Sword fighting can be played up in a way where it kind of gets cheesy. Yeah, for sure. And this felt like so brutal. I feel like I have to praise just the actors that are in these scenes Mm -hmm. because it is such a physical performance. Especially Skarsgård, because he engages in so many fights throughout the movie, and it's always on camera. Mm-hmm. I would say it's like rarely ever a stun double. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost always him. I think it kind of ties into Edgar's directing style as well. Where to me, it kind of reminded me of The Lighthouse, where a lot of characters have their monologue. I felt like even though dialogue was hard to understand and hard to read, it sometimes I felt it was very important, and I felt. While this movie had like a bigger budget, you know Edgar's was like right there, like giving like perfect direction at all times. Where oh yeah, I felt like all the characters had like their reasons, like the mom and the and the the uncle, and obviously Skarsgård and Olga. Like they all had like their revenge and like their own. I don't know. Everything just felt like it had good weight to it, even though it kind of gets mystical and surreal. Like everything feels kind of grounded. In like this brutal animalistic way. <laughs> and that was fucking dope. Like I I mean, we left the theater sweating. It was one of the most intense f- films I had ever seen. It was more intense than the lighthouse. Because the lighthouse to me was like a little bit more dissonant and subtle and passive. And then it kind of like builds up to chaos where like it was basically chaos from the get-go. I'm not gonna like give it a rating. I wanna see it again, but like for right now, I'm going to give it a rating. It's going to be like, to me, like, I feel like it's somewhere like in the eight range. Uh, I mean, I feel like if I, we could unpack the mythology a little bit more or like the symbols after like a second or a third viewing, I feel like I, this movie will grow on me even more. I'd say the same. I was going for like probably an eight to an eight and a half, mm-hmm. somewhere around that range. When I saw The Lighthouse, I think I gave it a nine. And then like later I redacted my review and gave it a 10 Mm -hmm. so i could see this growing on me even more this is a bro movie too like don't take your wife to see this at all she had no interest in seeing this whatsoever i said the word vikings and she said (laughs) fuck no (laughs) (laughs) to me i feel like i'd never subject a woman to this film ever definitely not and i mean that in all respect it was just 
as a man, I was so uncomfortable. Was there one woman in the theater with us when we saw this? I don't this? think so. Yeah, this, no. was, this was a total sausage fest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, man. It was fun. We've never done anything like this. Next time we're going to be on the mics, we're going to be uh, reviewing uh, Bo Burnham's Inside. So um, I'm yeah. sure this will come out before Dune, which will kind of like, it'll be like kind of a weird... I can label it as like a bonus episode mm. if that'll like make it make more sense. It don't matter. It's weird that we're at the end of this and we're not doing like a recommendation or anything. <laughs> yeah. We're just like, all right, I guess. Like, see ya. Yeah, man. I want to watch it again, though. Maybe after multiple viewings when it comes out on streaming or something, or if I see it again in theaters or whatever, well, you know, I'll bring in more opinions on a later podcast and just kind of shoehorn it in. I hope it makes a lot of money. I do, too. I want Edgar's to gain more trust as a director and kind of really go all out. But this definitely wasn't a movie for everyone either. I went into it as like a fan. I want to see more from this director. And, you know, obviously the Defoe show, you know, that sold me. I, w- I want to know what he does next. And, you know, more budget would be great. I wouldn't be mad if he does something more niche, you know, under A24 with like one or two actors again. And yeah, anything. I mean, I just I want to see the director explore a lot. Supposedly his next movie is supposed to be... Nosferatu, mm. and I think yes, this might just be a rumor, but I think Defoe is supposed yeah. to play the main character in that, mm-hmm. and that will be amazing. A treat. It will be the Defoe show. But yeah, we'll be back on the the mics in uh, a couple of weeks, right? Uh, not this week, but uh, next next Tuesday. So uh, until then, I'll catch you later. And uh, Getter's going to tell you uh, a secret. Adios.